so the power uh, the power word uh, it really helped me uh, build up a, uh, a custom optical furnace um, it's not easy to get light into a molten salt system uh, because molten salts you know again have a compatibility issue with many materials um, especially at high temperature of course so you know that limits the type of materials you can actually use right. um, and so this is kind of a you know one of the challenges of it in the, the um, the power really enabled um, a new uh, furnace in my laboratory um, to do this. You're listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join Michael Holtz and his guests for conversations about all things ORAU. They'll talk about ORAU's storied history, our impact on an ever-changing world, our innovative scientific and technical solutions for our customers, and our commitment to the communities where we do business. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Happy Wednesday and welcome to another episode of Further Together, the ORAU podcast. As always, I am your host, Michael Holtz, in the communications and marketing department at ORAU. And I am pleased to have with me today, Dr. Alexander Vitaler. He is an assistant professor in nuclear engineering at North Carolina State University, and he is an ORAU POW Award winner. Dr. Vitaler, welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Tell me a little bit about who you are. Well, um, my journeys began in uh, uh, quite a few quite a few years ago now, but um, I was actually a physicist by training. Um, I went to the University of Arizona uh, for my undergrad um, as a uh, engineering physics major. Um, I'd always wanted to be in a field uh, that tried to tackle energy problems and problems of our uh, you know global warming and uh, seeing what I could do with a technical degree to see how I could help um, solve these challenges. So I, I went down that path, um, and my interest at the time was uh, infusion energy, and uh, so I actually ended up going to do the uh, internship at Livermore um, at the National Ignition Facility, which was uh, a lot of fun. And then I came back and uh, decided that I wanted to do a PhD um, at UCLA, uh, and I did that under uh, my PhD advisor, Professor Seth Putterman, in the physics department. So. I became a full-fledged physicist at that time. So I uh, had a lot of great fun there, uh, working with uh, sonal luminescence um, and a lot of other interesting plasma studies using uh, femtosecond lasers and spark discharges. And so a lot of uh, my interest was in fusion, but then it became more of a plasma, just fundamental science uh, aspect of it, uh, which I really enjoyed. Um, and then uh, at the end of that, I came to North Carolina State University in the physics department to try to broaden my horizons and do something completely different, which was solid state physics, um, uh, studying two-dimensional materials using ultrafast spectroscopy. And so my background has been quite, um, had a, has a large variety in it, um, but it's kind of uh, culminated in a nice way for the, uh, the Power Award, actually, because it combined uh, my personal interest, which was in uh, energy and particularly nuclear power, and also ultrafast spectroscopy and using lasers to study and interrogate matter and materials in extreme environments, which in this context in my my research now is in molten salt uh, reactors. Right. So for advanced nuclear uh, applications. 
so yeah, no, it's uh, it's been an interesting path. Um, and I kind of gave up the fusion thing and, you know, kind of got in for the fusion, stayed for the vision, um, because that's, uh, you know, my, uh, my opinion is a, you know, it's a really tremendous technology that, uh, and I'm excited to be a part of it. Right. So you were a, um, Powell Award recipient, and for folks who are listening, the Ralphie Powell Junior Faculty Enhancement Awards Program is a award presented by ORU's um, University Partnerships Office, and their competitive um, seed money grants, essentially, their competitive seed money awards, essentially, that um, often result in additional funding from other sources. We provide $5,000 the applicant's institution um, matches that award and the awards are really used to kind of kickstart um, and help enhance some research. And as you said, you use yours in um, molten salt um, research and talk a little bit about the research that you're doing and um, how the Power Grant helped you um, with the project. Absolutely. So my research um, is, again, largely focused on uh, characterization of and the study of materials and matter in extreme environments, and uh, with a big focus on molten salts uh, for use in advanced nuclear applications. This could be in pyroprocessing, you know, recycling of spent nuclear fuel, and also to help advance uh, the molten salt reactor technology, which is undergoing kind of a, you know, uh, a real uh, expansion of interest, uh, both uh, on the private sector and, and uh, also with the DOE as well. So it's a really exciting time to be a part of uh, nuclear engineering as far as, you know, interest in new reactor designs. Although technically it's not new, it's kind of old, uh, but, you know, right, it's, uh, right. <laughs> but it's, it's sort of having a renaissance molten salt reactors, right? That's right. So it's, it's really interesting technology because it began in the 1950s. Um, and you know got developed at Oak Ridge in the 60s 50s and 60s and it kind of just went away um for you know the past you know between then and, and uh, maybe 10 years ago and so now there's this big interest and in thrust as a as a gen 4 reactor system um, so it's it's really a fantastic time to be a part of this and the kind of interesting perspective that i have on this is that you know that technology was studied back in the 60s uh, my background is in uh, ultra-fast spectroscopy, using pulsed lasers uh, to study, uh, you know, matter. And in 1960 is when the laser was invented. So, you know, the, this technology of the molten salt reactor had been developing, you know, and, and lasers were in their infancy. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of work using lasers to study molten salt at the time, of course. Um, but fast forward to now, we have, you know, laser technology is obviously just expanded and just developed and is so mature now uh, and you know many new techniques are being developed even still today and so it's really interesting to have that perspective and say what well, can we you know, use these techniques to apply to um, you know uh, the field of study that you know, dates back to the 1960s so actually when it was invented um, and so my uh, my uh, interest is to use these lasers to study molten salts uh, both for their interactions with materials you know one of the thing, key issues is uh corrosivity of materials um, uh, with molten salts uh, but also other things such as the fundamental fluid properties are actually not terribly well understood at high temperature 
Um, that's generally because it's difficult to make these measurements at high temperature. And also the fact that, you know, molten salts uh, are quite aggressive and um, will attack materials if you're not uh, careful about it. So the, po uh, the power board, uh, it really helped me uh, build up a, uh, a custom optical furnace. Um, it's not easy to get light into a molten salt system uh, because molten salts, you know, again, have a compatibility issue with many materials, um, especially at high temperature, of course. So, you know, that limits the type of materials you can actually use. Right. Um, and so this is kind of, a, you know, one of the challenges of it in the, the um the power really enabled um, a new uh, furnace in my laboratory um, to do this. So what we did is uh, we took um, the, uh, the those funds and um, translated that into a custom optical furnace um, that uh, it's based on a conflat system, so standardized parts that you can buy, um, and then pull together a internal furnace based on some old diagrams from uh, back in the seventies, you know, seventies. And um, yeah, we have a, a system where we can start inserting samples in and interrogating with light. And we even have um, a reentrant window that goes in there so we can do microscopy too. Um, and the fun thing about this is that it was intended for a certain um, measurement. The idea was to send lasers in, create a bubble, the bubble would expand and then collapse. And on that motion, if you're tracking it, you can actually get a lot of the uh, fluid properties from it, such as viscosity and surface tension. Uh, that's the principle behind it. But the cool thing about it is that it, beca it became such a versatile uh, furnace for us that mm -hmm. we've now been using it all, all over the place. And it's inspired uh, another furnace that we have uh, built in our lab for um, for an NUP grant that we have. So it's, it's really served a kind of a wide range of purposes. And right now, um, it's get, having new life yet again because my other student who's working on um, making solvated electrons inside of molten salts, he's mm -hmm. using that furnace now um, for his studies and it's actually really perfect fit for him. So it's it had an original intention and it's kind of served that goal like to make um, you know uh, thermophysical property measurements. but now it's just expanded to different places so we, it's become really nice. That's great. And, you know, like you said, it's being used in multiple ways and, you know, sort of that grant, <laughs> that award keeps living, you know, yeah. in, in other ways, shapes or form. Um, Dr. Batalara, what's the application for um, discoveries that you might make in in molten salt reactor studies? Great. Yeah. So um, let's talk about the uh, NEP uh, grant that we have and that we're working on that's actually based on, uh, well, the furnace that, we're, that we built is a slightly larger variant of the one that the, the, the power work uh, gave us. That project is to um, uh, do material quantification of molten salts. So in the molten salt reactor, um, there's there's different variants, but many of them have the uh, actinides, the, the fuel in the salt. It's called a fuel salt. So it's a very different concept uh, than most nuclear reactors because it's what's called a uh, uh, fuel fluid fueled reactor. Um, this has you know history back again at Oak Ridge um, with the aqueous homogeneous reactor uh, of the aqueous system, then uh, transition over to molten salts for various reasons. Um, but still, one of the kind of challenges, and this is uh, current research right now, uh, not just in my group, but in the field, is to actually provide an in-situ measurement of the salt. So 
it, it may seem like a trivial, you know, thing, which is uh, how do we, you know, what's in our salt uh, in the reactor, um, and that actually turns out to be a very difficult uh, thing to do. Um, you know, it's highly radioactive. Uh, it's in an environment where you don't have just the easiest access, and if you do pull the sample out uh, and then do analysis, that does two things that are, are not as desirable. Uh, one is that it generally it's a longer lead time to get the measurement because uh, you have to take it out and bring it somewhere to do the measurement. Uh, but also is you're, you're extracting, um, you know, uh, uh, actinides out of a reactor. And so there's a material balance issue here too. And that's actually um, the, the funding uh, avenue for the NEP is to, you know, for material balance impact program. And so, you know, having a, um, uh, in situ diagnostic is really, really important. Um, and so that's kind of what we're working on. One of the problems that we're working on is to use um, electrical discharges in molten salts um, to do plasma emission spectroscopy. Uh, right now, the kind of state of the art is to do laser induced breakdown spectroscopy. Um, and it sounds uh, wild that I would say I don't want to do LIBS because I, I do lasers for a living, but uh, I came to a conclusion that. Um, our path would be using uh, spark discharges instead of lasers. So, uh, but yeah, again, this is all based on this same furnace design. So, uh, it's, it's it's nice to have this type of capability, uh, which is what it really afforded us—a new capability, uh, right. something that we don't and not very many people have. Uh, and because my uh, lab is filled with optical tables. Um, it's much easier to do experiments on the optical table than mm -hmm. in a glove box. Uh, so from my perspective, it was easier to bring the salt onto the table as opposed to bringing the, the light into the glove box. Gotcha. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. So it sort of speeds the process. Of it. Oh, yes, very much so. And, it, it, it you know, it, uh, I don't know if you've ever worked with a glove box uh, <laughs> or optics, but optics, you kind of need some nice dexterity, um, mm -hmm. you know, to, to manipulate the mirrors and optics, et cetera. And that's the last thing you have in a glove box. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So we, we opted to make it a little bit more painful to bring it out. But once we do that, then the optics are relatively easy. Gotcha. So if I could sort of um, take a look back at sort of your life before being uh, an assistant professor at NC State, how did you get involved in science? How did, was science always something you were interested in as a kid? Um, yeah, my my folks uh, were both uh, software engineers. Um, okay. So they, you know, I had the, uh, you know, engineering parents. Um, and I've always enjoyed and liked science and engineering, um, so even from an early age. Um, I think it was around, you know, you know, 18, 19 or so when I really thought, you know, I kind of want to do something with my life and um, use my interest in science and engineering um, to, you know, make the world better, save the world like we're all trying to do, right? Um, and so I, I, you know, I was really interested in energy and, um, you know, what what, uh, what types of energy there are. Um, and so that's kind of how I got into it. Okay. Uh, but my but path definitely winded quite a bit because I began in one field, merged with another, and then came to another, and then full circle back. Um, so I kind of had, a, uh, I would say, a revelation within myself about nuclear fission, um, right. the prospects of it, and it's kind of untapped potential. 
Um, and, you know, that happened only about maybe seven years ago. So, you know, I, I was relying on a lot of different advice about nuclear fission saying, oh, it's, you know, it's dangerous. It's, you know, it's all the other things that you could throw at it, uh, which I would say was mischaracterization. Um, but, you know, I think that natural progress made me really appreciate it more. Um, and uh, I think that the stage, um, I'm kind of at the place where I love what, how I do science and I also love what I'm studying for. Um, so it's, it's, it's perfect. Right. Well, and I love that molten salt reactors, you know, as you said, as we talked about earlier, sort of having a renaissance, you know, they were kind of a big deal in the 50s and 60s and sort of didn't really go away, but sort of, you know, seems like they had their moment and now they're coming back. And I know I've, I've seen email conversations with you and, and Dr. Ken Tobin about, you know, his experience at ORNL and, um, you know, some of the folks that you all know kind of together in this, in this field that seems to be having a, a resurgence, a, a, almost a reemergence of studying how molten salt reactors can be beneficial. Yeah. And there's, I mean, about, I think I last counted, there's like a dozen startup companies or, or companies in general that are interested in this, um, that are, you know, putting their money where their mouth is and they're, they're, you know, they're full attention to it. So it's, it's very exciting. Um, I'm happy for my students because, uh, they have a field that they can, uh, you know, join. Uh, there's, it's not like there's, oh, you have to, you have to go do something else. No, you could continue doing molten salt uh, research. Right. So this is this is a really good time to be uh, a nuclear engineer, especially if you're interested in these advanced nuclear reactors. There's a lot of excitement over. I, I love them all, uh, you know, but uh, obviously I had to pick one. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, Dr. Batalar, is there anything I haven't asked you that you want to make sure that you share about your work about um, your PAL award? The, uh, no, I, nothing in particular. I would just like to really thank. ORAU for that uh, opportunity and the award. Um, the ORAU uh, means a lot to me. One of my professional heroes is Alvin Weinberg, um, who was you know, obviously part of ORAU a long time ago. Um, so, so getting this award was very special for me um, and it means a lot. And um, hopefully we can continue doing the good work that um, he began over at Oak Ridge a long time ago. Absolutely. And um, I look forward to um, hopefully catching up with you at some point in the future and hearing more about how your work has progressed. Fantastic. Yeah. Come on, swing on by. We'll <laughs> get some goggles on and you know, take a look at uh, all the fun stuff we're doing. That sounds great, actually. I'll, I'll talk to Kathy and Ken about yeah, making please. a field trip. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Not too far. It's only six hours. <laughs> no, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Alexander Bataller, thank you so much for joining me for Further Together. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. To learn more about any of the topics discussed by our experts, visit www.orau.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at ORAU and on Instagram at ORAU Together. If you like Further Together, the ORAU podcast, we would appreciate you giving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews will help more people find the podcast.